You're listening to the RV Homeschool Podcast, where we make travel educational and fun. Let's chat about bison and wild horses as we head to Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Thank you for listening to the RV Homeschool Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Steuben. We are a family of four who travels with our Jayco Seneca and we tow a Jeep. We travel with our two kids who are in elementary school and our dog. And we're trying to head to all the national parks with the kids before they head off to college. We've been to 27 so far and counting. So we like to cover for you some of the details about going to the different national parks and some of the sites and things you might want to see, some of the logistics about getting there and things you might need to know about the roadways and campsites and things like that. We always cover camping options at the end of the podcast, and uh, we just try to fill it with information that's useful for you so that you can have a more enjoyable trip. So today we are talking about Theodore Roosevelt National Park, which also people will abbreviate TRNP. And um, I have to be honest with you, I hadn't really heard of Teddy Roosevelt National Park before we were starting our whole National Parks journey. And that's probably because it's a little bit more of a remote destination and that it's not a place that necessarily a lot of us are passing by as we're traveling on the main interstates. It's located in North Dakota. It's actually just off of Highway I-94, but North Dakota's pretty far north, so unless you're kind of in northern um, Montana or northern Minnesota, you're not necessarily passing by there. Um, It's more of a destination. It's the only national park that is named after a person, and rightfully so. It was named after President Theodore Roosevelt, who did so much to protect the parks, So he really deserves getting a park named after him. And it's also a location that was actually important to him as well. He spent a significant amount of time here and a cabin that he lived at while he, um, he lived in while he was here is still actually here at the park and you can tour it. He loved hunting. He was a um, major outdoorsman and, and really loved being in nature. And he actually got into the cattle business for a while. This was kind of in his early political career. And he had cattle that were in this area, and he would come to stay at his cabin while he was here. And then he kind of had some ranch hands that were handling this while he was gone and back um, dealing with government stuff. So at the point, though, when his wife and his mother died, which actually happened on the same day when he was in his 20s, he kind of came out to the cabin and used it as a bit of a retreat to heal and kind of get through that process. So he spent a lot of time here. Unfortunately, the cattle business didn't really work out for him. The cattle faced a brutally cold winter and most of them died. And he ended up actually losing a lot of money in his whole experience out here. But it never stopped his love of nature and the area. And there's actually a really good biography. We actually picked it up on disc while we were at the visitor center at Teddy Roosevelt National Park. And it's called The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt. It's also in book form and stuff. Um, But if you like listening to books on tape while you're driving, this one would get you in the mood for being there at the park. It covers his life really from the point that he's born up to his presidency. So you hear about this time in his life when he's spending a lot of time here in Medora. 
So that's a little bit of the background. In terms of the things that you can see while you're here at Teddy Roosevelt National Park, there's really two units. Well, there's actually kind of three parts to the park, but two main units, the south unit and the north unit. And in the south unit, there's a beautiful painted landscape that gives you these amazing views. You can see wild horses running through the park, and you can't see that every day. And the town of Medora, which is just outside the park, is a really great touristy town that has a lot of fun activities that your kids would love. So that's a bunch of stuff to see on the south side. In the north unit, you would expect to see bison like you have never seen before. Of all the parks we've been to, this has been our favorite in terms of trying to see bison and really being so close to seeing them. Um, they were everywhere and they were close, sometimes actually too close. And I'll tell you a story of something that happened to us. But you would be able to get the best bison photography at this park if that's something that matters to you. Also, there's the cannonball concretions, and those look like something out of another planet, as do the Badlands. Those also have that feel as well. And there's an amazing canyon that's carved out by the Little Missouri River that is just stunningly beautiful. So that's some of the stuff to see at Teddy Roosevelt National Park. Let's talk about the logistics of getting here. So like I mentioned, it's a little bit off the beaten path. It's off of Highway Interstate 94 in North Dakota. You could potentially tie it into a trip if you're heading out to go west to go to Yellowstone or if you're heading out to Glacier. And we actually did spend our time here at Teddy Roosevelt National Park after we had been at Glacier National Park. So it's really just a straight shot east in Montana on Highway 2 to get to the north unit of Teddy Roosevelt National Park. Um, now, we're going to talk about both units in this podcast, but I will tell you, spoiler alert, that the north unit shouldn't be missed. That's really where you're going to fall in love with this park. So if you take Highway 2 from Glacier, let's say you're leaving from Glacier, that's what we did. We thought it would save us time to just take that straight shot east instead of having to head down and get onto 94 and then take that over and across and then up. But um, I don't think that actually happened because there was so much construction going on on that highway too that the road, it didn't have full closures, but the road was literally gone. It was it was down to dirt in some places. I mean, for miles, it was down to dirt. So you can imagine driving that on your big motorhome, which is not really meant to be an off-roading vehicle. And we're trying to drive across this going like five and 10 miles per hour sometimes. So it probably ended up taking us more time to get there by taking that highway too than it would have to just go down to the interstate on 94. But you might just want to check if you're doing that route or you're, you're thinking about adding this on to a glacier trip, maybe just check that out and see if there's any construction. Maybe by next summer, by, by this summer, 2020, that will all be fixed and the road will be great. But in 2019, it was absolutely miserable. So that's one of the routes, but maybe not the one you want to take. If you are driving on I-94 anyway, so say you're coming from northern Minnesota like Fargo or, or whatever and you're cutting across and you're heading over to Yellowstone, then you're easily going to just be passing right by Medora and the south unit. So it's easy enough to just plan to stop here for a night. You really won't regret stopping in Medora because it's such a great town and you'll get to at least see the south unit for the park. You'll get a feel for the park, but you're which is better than not stopping at all. Um, but I don't think that you'll love it as much as if you take the time 
um, to go ahead and go up to the north unit, which is 68 miles north up the road off of Highway 85. So it is a bit of a trek, and you definitely want to at least spend another night just on the north unit. You don't want to do that as a day trip, but it's really worth it to see the sites that are in the north unit, and I think you'd really enjoy it. So when is the time to go to Theodore Roosevelt National Park? Well, we were there the second week of July, and I really thought that this was a great time. The weather was perfect. It was definitely warm, but it wasn't like miserably hot, and it wasn't buggy at all. I think it just probably isn't humid enough to really have that buggy feel that you sometimes get as you're heading to the Midwest. Um, We were able to get into camping without having any reservations, so that worked out just fine. And Due to road closures and limited resources in the off-season, I I really think that this is a park to visit during the summer months, that you're not really going to get the feel and you're not going to be able to access a lot of the spots in the winter months that you would probably want to see. So I think it's best to visit in the summer months, and um, you can try to get reservations in certain areas to camp around there, but you may not even need that if you get there early enough in the day. And when we come back from break, we're going to talk about the different units in the park. So the south unit of the park is bordered by I-94 along the southern entrance of that south unit for a a pretty long stretch. There's actually an exit called Painted Canyon, which is exit 32 off of Highway 94, where you can actually pull off. You don't even have to pay to go into the park. You can just park your RV there or your car, and you can see the Painted Canyon landscape, which is really beautiful. There's a visitor center that's here, so you can get some information, pick up your ranger packets um, for the junior ranger program and stuff. When we stopped, there was actually a park ranger giving a talk about the different rock formations and talking about kind of the clay and how those different things were formed because a lot of that's really unique to the park here. As you head further west on I-94, you get to the exit for Medora, which is the town that's here. There's a bypass road that you actually take and that's on exit 27. Well, at least if you're heading west, it's on exit 27. The town in Medora has street parking and even can accommodate an RV towing a car type street parking. So big, long stretches where there's street parking just outside of the park. And there's even some RV parks that are in town. There's lots of shopping in different stores and um, like dinner playhouse type places and fun family activities. There's even an outdoor nightly staged that they set up a night show that they do that's kind of like a western show now i think that's only happening in the summer so another reason to visit during the summer but it's really a cool town it has a lot of charm people were really nice here and this would be a great base to stay at when you're in the south unit you can of course stay within the park but if you're in the town of medora you have access to all that fun stuff and you'd have hookups and everything which you're not going to have within the park The south unit for the park is also here in Medora, and once you enter into the park, one of the first things that you can see is the visitor center, and then there's the Maltese Cross Cabin, 
where Roosevelt actually lived for a while while he was traveling here. And they've set it up. They, they have it really kind of decorated to, to the period. And some of his things are even in there. So you can walk around and tour it a little bit and see these different things, which is really cool to see. The actual cabin used to be located at, at a, another spot that was probably like six miles away or something. But they moved it over here so it's right by the visitor center and it's easy to tour. He later went on to build the Elkhorn Ranch, which is kind of like 35 miles north of the south unit, but it's not really on your way to the north unit. It's its own destination. So if you want to see the Elkhorn Ranch, you're going to have to do some additional planning, and we'll talk about that when we talk about the ranch. For the south unit, there's also a scenic drive that is a 36-mile loop that goes through the south unit of the park. Now, when we were there last summer in 2019, this was actually closed. So they were doing different restoration on the roads and stuff. And so we were not able to go all that far on this loop. We were still able to see some of the prairie dog fields. So they have these big areas where there's just tons of prairie dogs and you can hear them talking to each other. And we don't have prairie dogs at our house in the Rocky Mountains, so my kids actually were fascinated by the prairie dogs. You can also see some of the Badlands, so not as much as you would see at, say, Badlands National Park, but they do have their own Badlands, and it's very similar in the way that it's shaped and stuff. So if you haven't seen that type of thing, it's really cool to see it here. And we did see the feral horses. So they have wild horses that are just running around, and it's it's pretty cool to see that. You can also see kind of the cutouts and the little bit of the kind of canyon space. Not as impressive as the north unit, but the Little Missouri River is coming through here, so you get some really pretty views of that. And there is also a petrified forest. So if you're willing to hike out to that, you can't, there's no car access out to the petrified forest, but you can do a hike, a day hike, that will get you out there and you can check out the petrified forest. As for bison in the south unit, we actually didn't see a single bison in the south unit. And from what I hear from other people who have been there, that's pretty typical to not see the bison in the south unit. So just so you know, if you want to see the bison, you're also going to have to plan to go up to the north unit. The next section to talk about is Elkhorn Ranch. So this is the ranch that Theodore Roosevelt built when he was um, after he had his initial cabin and he was going to be spending more time there. It's about 35 miles north of the south unit, but your access to it is actually off of Highway um, Interstate 94. So you're going to I-94, and then you take this other road to get up there. It's it's not a super cleared road. I mean, it's not really smooth. They recommend that vehicles have high clearance in order to get out here. So it's not the kind of thing that you're taking your RV out to see, and it's not between the south unit and the north unit. So it's not like a stop that you can do on your way between the two units you'd really need to be staying in the south unit and then decide with it with your towed vehicle or your or your primary vehicle if you pull a trailer that you're going to take that vehicle and head out to the ranch um, because you're not going to be able to do that with your rv so that is elkhorn ranch we actually didn't take the time to go see elkhorn ranch um, so I can't give you any more details about it and if it's worth the effort. But if you care about the history with Theodore Roosevelt, then it might be worth the time. Now, the North Unit is really the highlight of the park. And I would say to try to spend at least one night up here in the North Unit so you can really experience the park and everything that makes Theodore Roosevelt such a great park. So when you come into the North Unit, you have a 14-mile scenic drive that takes you to the 
end of that drive, assuming it's summer, it's not open all the way through during the winter, but you go 14 miles out. And then of course you have to come back those 14 miles to exit the park. If you're staying within the park at the Juniper campground, then you just go in and you can camp there for the night. And that's what we did. We'll talk about that a little bit more. If you're not going to stay in the park, you have to go actually quite a ways out of town in order to get to the next RV options. But as you're coming in, Apparently, a lot of times you can see some longhorn cattle as soon as you're coming in in those first couple of miles on this stretch. We didn't actually see any this time of year, but it could be because there were so many bison all over the place that the cattle are kind of heading away. So we, there were bison all over. I mean, dozens of bison. So they were running around with their babies. They were crossing the road. So we'd have to stop sometimes and let them cross the road. They were snacking on grass on the side of the road. Um, It was just really cool to kind of see them and be able to drive by and capture some pictures and then keep driving on. The next place that you get to where there's a pool out is the cannonball concretions. And these are really cool. Um, These are these large boulders that look like they could be a marble set for a giant. Um, They're just these big boulder rock balls. And they were created apparently when sand grains from an ancient river deposit were cemented together with minerals that were dissolved in the groundwater. So the water kind of like pulls together and builds upon these sand grains. And in some of them, you can kind of see the layering of that as they've broken apart. Um, But it's really cool to see. You can kind of hike around and and see some of those. This is also where this pullout is at, is also where the entrance is at to go to the Juniper Campground. If you continue on the main scenic road, then you get to the Riverbend Overlook and this will give you the most fantastic view of the canyon. It's just, it's absolutely spectacular. You see this huge canyon going through there with the Little Missouri River flowing through, and it really is just beautiful. There's a really cool stone structure that's built right here from the Civilian Conservation Corps that they did back in the 30s, and it's still standing, and it's beautiful, and you can walk in it and then look out at the overlook. So really a beautiful spot to stop. And then as you keep going on the route on the road, the scenic road, the last place you get to is the Oxbow Overlook. And this is another pretty overlook. There's actually a pathway trail, Achenbach Trail, that goes to the north. And you can take that to get back to the other Riverbend Overlook. Um, But there were a lot of bison kind of in the way and hanging out on that trail. So we couldn't go that route. So we asked one of the rangers which way we should go and he said to just take the trail south and go to Spirati Point and I highly recommend that little hike it's probably only about a mile maybe a little more than a mile to just hike to the point of Spirati Point and then you get a really nice view of the canyon as well um, we had a bit of an adventure as we were hiking back on that so Spirati Point is you're coming back and you're you're just about to come over this bend to your right side and there's a hill there. So you're you're not really seeing what's up in front of you. You can kind of see the road and the parking lot, but you can't quite see where the trail's going to continue. And we were maybe 50 feet from the point where this bend is actually going to happen on our hike back. And all of a sudden we see these rangers that are in the parking lot and one of them just starts walking in the prairie, not on a path or anything. He's just walking across the grasses of the prairie which are like a foot high and he's walking towards us which was really weird and the kids actually they're like mom are we in trouble the ranger's coming by us 
And I said, no, we haven't done anything. We're not in trouble. So as he started getting closer, he wasn't running, but he definitely was, you know, walking with a purpose. As he started getting closer, he said, he just calmly said, folks, stop. So we, we stopped in our tracks and we waited for him to meet with us. And he said, just around that turn, there's a bison. And, and truly there was maybe 10 feet from the point that you take that little turn, maybe not even that, five to seven feet, there was a bison standing right there. And you certainly don't want to just randomly scare a bison as you come up to him on a trail. So the ranger was coming to let us know that we were going to walk around through the prairie grasses and get back to the parking lot that way safely. And the girls were very scared about rattlesnakes. And they said, what if a rattlesnake bites us? And we assured them that the bison impaling them with his horns was going to be much worse than a rattlesnake bite, which was not likely to happen. So we went through there. He guided us back over to the parking lot and we were fine. No bison injuries and no rattlesnake injuries. So it ended up being fine. But it just goes to show that there are a lot of bison at this park. So if, if you care about that, it's really cool to see them. But at the same time, you know, be smart about what you're doing and be careful and just know that they could be anywhere in the park. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the camping options. By far the best campground option I can tell you is the Juniper Campground, which is up in the North Unit. It's the NPS campground that you have there for the park. They have these nice wide spaces. There's no hookup, so I mean you have to deal with that, but it's also not terribly hot even though it was summer. So we didn't have to worry about running AC and we were able to run the generator to cook our dinner and everything and then you just have to turn it off at night. And it was no problem to be without AC for night. So it was a great spot to stay. A couple of things that we really loved is that we were very close to where the outdoor amphitheater is and there was a ranger program going on and she was talking about bison and she had brought a bison hide and she had sample horns and a bunch of different information. And so the girls were able to, we were all able to just sit there and listen about the bison presentation and they needed to do that as part of their junior ranger packet. So we were able to get in a ranger program. And then the other thing that we could do from the campsite is just walk down into the Little Missouri River. And the girls enjoyed just being able to have their swimsuits on and run through the river and play around. Um, you could tell that a lot of bison had been in the area because of the um, dung piles that were around there. But there weren't any at the time that we were in the water, so that was good. And it was a cool little place to just kind of cool off. So we really like that campground. If you're staying on the south unit, they actually have a campground as well that's within the NPS unit. But the town of Medora also has some nice options. And then you can have hookups and everything. For the north unit, if you're not going to stay in the NPS campground, then you really have to drive quite a while, probably 30 minutes or so to get to the next nearest town. And then there's there's not a lot of options. I think there were one or two options. So we had that in mind in case we got down to the Juniper campground and it was sold out because we could not make a reservation. It was first come first serve. And we lucked out. We actually got a spot and we were one of the last, I think, three spots for the campground. But it also, by that point in time, we got there during the evening. So it was maybe five or six o'clock. So I think as long as you're getting there a little bit earlier in the day, you'll probably be okay to get a spot, even in the middle of summer. 
So that's some of the camping options. And um, we have a video review of the Juniper Campground on our YouTube channel. So I'll link to that here in the podcast notes. So you can go straight to that and see what it looks like. And then we have a bunch of different pictures about um, that show the town of Medora and then show different highlights of the park that's on our Instagram. And I'll actually put together an Instagram story that just has Teddy Roosevelt National Park. Um, I'll label it TRNP so you can just quickly find those highlights and see what you would want to visit. The last thing that I wanted to talk about, um, just because it, it kind of bothered us and I just feel like it, it deserves some mentioning, was that um, we were really shocked to see how much oil drilling is going on up there in North Dakota. I mean, literally the whole time that you were on that scenic drive in the North unit, if you look out in the distance to the North, you can see the oil rigs just going up and down into the to the ground. Um, and it just was really kind of interesting to see that here you have this beautiful park, but then we're still kind of surrounded by all this, um, you know, commercialism and, and everything else that we're doing. And it was a, um, a little concerning to us. Now I can't, you know, we have this big diesel guzzling RV, so I can't say I'm not part of the problem, but it just made me a little bit sad. So I thought that it might be worth mentioning that, Um, No matter your party lines or any divisions we have, we probably all care about protecting and preserving the national parks. And that's something that's always important to me. So I just want to mention a few ways that you can do that too, that are just ways that we can help support those national parks. So one of the things is you can be um, a member for the park association. So if you go into the parks, you know how they have the gift shop, like bookstore areas. Usually those are run not by the NPS site, but by kind of a third party association. And each of those will have their own discount card. And I can't quite remember how much it costs. I think it was like 25 or $35. And you get the membership card and it gives you a discount for things at the park. Well, we had never done this before because I always thought that you're just getting the discount for that particular park that you're at. But that's not true. The park associations have an agreement with each other. So you might want to just confirm it the one you're at. But when we bought our pass at Teddy Roosevelt National Park for the park association, that discount card got us the 10% discount at all the other national parks then that we traveled to as we were buying merchandise. So this isn't a discount for the entrance to the park. That's a separate thing with the NPS site. But this is for the gift shops like your magnets and patches and um, you know books and t-shirts and all the stuff that you're buying at the park. So get one of those association cards. It doesn't cost that much. It gives you discounts to the other places and then it helps support the parks. So that's one way to support the parks. Another is you can always donate to the National Parks Foundation. They have straight on their website a way where you can just do a, a lump donation. They also have different programs like where you can donate for kids programs to help get kids into parks, which I just love that. Um, and then of course, buying a national parks pass. Honestly, I feel a little guilty about our national parks pass because, um, it's probably all of like $2 every time we go into one of the parks, when you add up how many times we're going to NPS sites and how little we have to pay for that parks pass. But, um, even if you're just going to go a few times, it's worth buying the pass. It helps out and it raises money for them. And then the last thing that I want to mention is just supporting companies that support the parks. So the best example that I found for this is Patagonia. Just recently, they had a $10 million tax credit and they decided, their CEO, who is a woman, by the way, decided to donate that tax credit to the national parks. So this really is a company that cares about national parks. We actually just outfitted our whole family with 
coats that those puffy coats from Patagonia and they're made from recycled plastics and they're soft and they're warm and they're really packable. So that's been a great purchase and you know that it's supporting a good company. I also really love their knit sweaters. I'm actually wearing mine right now and virtually and every time you see me with a fleece on and in the pictures of of me at the parks, I'm wearing my Patagonia knit sweater because these are the best as well. So there you go. Support companies that support the parks and that's another great way to support them. So hopefully um, you didn't mind my soapbox there at the end too much. I don't usually do stuff like that, but just seeing all the oil rigs and stuff, I just felt like I had to say something. So in general, I hope that this was useful for you in planning your trip to Teddy Roosevelt National Park. I hope you feel like it's worthwhile to visit Theodore Roosevelt National Park because it really is a beautiful place. There is a lot to see. Your kids will love it too. Um, I know it's a little bit off the beaten path for a lot of us, but um, I will tell you that it's definitely worth it. And even if you can just do a night on the North Unit and a night in Medora, you'll really enjoy the experience and I think you'll really enjoy it. So thank you so much for listening.